ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying time is here. That's right, we are talking Jason Goes to Hell on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from Camp Crystal Lake or some morgue in the middle of Ohio. Eh, either will do. This is the Kill by Kill podcast where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. So we will be unpacking all the gory details of 1993's Jason Goes to Hell in the hopes that an FBI agent's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make about them. And as always, there's only one person that I trust to help me take down a massive hulking mutant with just small arms fire and maybe a mortar, the one and only Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing, Gina? Patrick, I, I'm so excited. This is our uh, our reaching Mordor moment. This is this is the movie we are asked about the most as to when we're going to get to it, if people can guest on it. All I can say is strap in. We're going to be here a while. We're going to be like uh, in Die Hard 2. <laughs> He launches himself out of an airplane using the escape hatch. And we're all just locked in for all the 90s explosiveness of it all. We're, we're, both, we go- go- we're both going to have long, majestic ZD Top beards when, when it's over. Our, yeah. our, our, our children will have had children and, and will remember us fondly as, as we walked into our rooms to record Jason Goes to Hell and we're never seen or heard from again. It's, <laughs> we're going to be like Robin Williams and Jumanji when we finish this. <laughs> oh, I hope so. That's my fondest. Because here's the thing. I look good in banana leaf. <laughs> don't ask me how I know that. I just know it to be true. Well, here's the deal, Gina. I hate. I don't want to alarm you, but we are not alone. That's right. Our special guest this week is a fearless writer whose latest book, Trainwreck, The Women We Love to Hate, Mock, and Fear, and Why, is out now from Melville, the one and only Sadie Doyle. How are you doing, Sadie? I'm doing really well. I'm so honored that you picked me for this one. I follow you on Twitter, and I'm um, Twitter-obsessed with you. I think you're in insanely smart, very funny. And you had mentioned that you like horror films. And I'm like, oh, that's my in. I'm going to get someone. (laughs) I'm going to get a guest who's way above our station. And I'm going to nail her for Jason Goes to Hell. So congratulations. I'm ready. I'm going going to hell with you. You know, I'm right here. (laughs) What what an honor that you've been chosen for Jason Goes to Hell. (laughs) I deeply, deeply love this movie um it really just the moment it starts you know that it's the most 1993 thing that's ever happened (laughs) like it's just immediately you're looking at a woman who might be a pre-friends courtney cox but she's not (laughs) and all the women in this movie look like that like you get the sense that they're all like right on the verge of being courtney cox but just it didn't happen and it's just like mr x from the x-files shows up almost right away it's there's just a lot of like brown lipstick there's fearsomely crimped hair (laughs) the underwear looks uncomfortable in ways that you know like i remember high school i don't know if you do but like there were full body memories of certain underwears you know like downfall it it really worked out well for me i felt like this was you know it was a chance to revisit a great era in human history 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, that op- that opening scene, that underwear that Gal's wearing, it looked like it was about making contact with her bra. Yeah, like it does. It like it sort of gently slopes up and makes contact with her rib cage before going like heading back down into the breach, and it's <laughs> it's really intense because like you can tell it's just. I mean, I don't know if this says anything flattering about me, but I was just like, I was really moved that like at this point in time. You would like make a full movie, and you would have your actress just wear ratty J.C. Penny underwear in the first scene. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just like it looks bad. It looks like it was just like you know what? We don't have a costume department. Bring your own. <laughs> and I've I I have to admit I have never seen this type of underwear in real life. So uh, it's so high on the hips. I I was under the impression that it only really existed in heavy metal music videos, (laughs) movies, and Budweiser beer ads. That was the only place I I had really seen it and and had not seen it in a very long time until revisiting this film. It's, yeah, it's an interesting look. So let's rewind the clock a little bit, Sadie. Mm -hmm. What was your first introduction to the Friday the 13th franchise? Um, I had a pretty good introduction. I would like to think we had a 50 cent movie theater in my um, my hometown, my hometown in Ohio. And I just went to see, having never seen any of these movies before, I went to see Jason in Space, which is, ah. it's technically Jason X. It's technically not Jason in Space, but it is Jason in Space. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was kind of like, it was like post-Scream and it was very self-aware. But at the same time, there's, you know, there's a kill you're going to talk about where he literally just picks up a teen in a sleeping blanket and just whams him into a tree about 20 times. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is okay. I get where they're coming from here. So (laughs) I think that's a pretty good one. I mean, I came to it a little bit later. This movie that we're talking about today was the actual first Friday the 13th I saw in a movie theater. Me too! Oh my goodness, me too! (laughs) Here in Eagle Rock, California, and it was the movie theater does not exist anymore. The mall still does, but there's no movie theater to be found there. And it was kind of low rent. Like, they still had the same Muzak that they had always had from the 70s. It it always it's a lot, played lot the of same lot music. of a lot of Chuck Mangione. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was yeah, it was not uh, yacht rock, but it wasn't cool. Um, <laughs> it was sort of weird uh, early seventies pop music, you know, AM gold sort of sitch. And I watched it with maybe a half dozen uninterested people. And I'm like, I've waited my whole life to see a Friday the 13th movie in mm-hmm. the movie theater. <laughs> and this was what I saw. And I hope that through this process, it will reveal itself to be this thing that I didn't expect or that I don't remember. Or there's there's elements of it that I really enjoy. I'm not entirely sure that the first five or six minutes that we'll be talking about do that. But Gina, what was your movie theater experience with this? Uh, it was basically just, uh, well, what do you want to do? I don't know. We can go see a movie. Okay. <laughs> which is also how I ended up seeing Dr. Giggles, which is also how I ended up seeing 
Batman and Robin, the the only movie I have ever walked out of. Um, <laughs> a lot of you know, kind of B level murder mysteries. A terrible movie uh, which involved Kiefer Sutherland and Dennis Hopper as like an FBI agent and an old hippie. Yes, mm. uh, I don't recall the name of the movie anymore. I only remember that I saw it. But yeah, it was a uh, very long period of about three or four years where there was nothing else to do in my hometown except drink and go to the movies mm. <laughs> sometimes both <Yeah. laughs> uh, i i don't remember the title of that movie and yet i remember that dennis hopper's hippie character had developed a fuel alternative that would eliminate <laughs> gas and that's why the government wanted to kill him so see i don't recall that at all yeah. all, all, I, all i remember is that you know the big reveal was that Kiefer sutherland's parents are hippies and his real name was like freedom or something <laughs> <laughs> Tagged him. Perfect. <laughs> um, all right. So let's just get into it. Unlike other films that we have talked about, we are outside the Paramount era. We are outside the 80s. The rights have now transferred from Paramount to the film company that used to distribute Friday the 13th internationally, and that is Warner Brothers, or more specifically, New Line Cinema. And so this film goes out of its way to tell you that we are no longer in the 80s, just as fast as it can. I'm not even sure. I think it's more like we are no longer on Earth. (laughs) (laughs) There are some interesting things that allude to the way it would go in Jason X in terms of international space travel Mm -hmm. or Jason's interaction with human beings are very weird. I am also told via the internet that there was a comic book that bridged where we left Jason in part eight as a unmutant child <laughs> awash in nuclear waste in the alleyways and tunnels of New York City mm-hmm. because you guys get a uh, you guys get flooded with nuclear waste every night at midnight on the dot. You can set your watch by it. Of That's course. what I learned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this and that's all the information I could find. Oh, does it? Does it actually explain how he got back to Crystal Lake? Because this movie doesn't even bother with that. No, it doesn't. Um, <laughs> I would love to tell you what that is, but all I can tell are people who are regurgitating the same sentence of information. No one has any physical evidence of this comic book existing. Right. I mean, that's, that's a pretty that's a pretty big question. And basically, the answer from the movie is, "Well, fuck you for asking." That's a stupid question, and it will not be answered. <laughs> Right. Jason is magic. He is where he is, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, he's apparently controlled by Tinkerbells, as as, as, <laughs> as, as as we will soon find out. So, of course, he could just kind of, you know, teleport back from New York to, to the middle of New Jersey, because that, that should be, you know, bottom level of the magic he can perform. He's like Death Santa, basically. It's like the question of, like, how can Santa be everywhere on one night? The answer is that he's Santa. And Jason is is the Santa of death. You know, you have to accept that he can be wherever you need him to be. Pretty much. I mean, in the last film, he teleported. Everywhere. <laughs> uh, it, it's He was still out of breath. Yeah, he's also gotten that under control for the you know minute or two that he is on screen in this. Yeah. The makeup here is really odd. I, I'm not entirely sure how to necessarily describe the way Jason looks. I wrote down, he looks like a balled up baby's fist with a hockey mask on it. <laughs> It looks like his brain is exposed, and and what I think it's just you know continuous rotting. Yeah, 
Like, um, I think there's there are panels from this apocryphal comic book online, and supposedly his face is like in all manner of disarray under that mask, and like various things are exposed. But it does just look like he has a really round head. Like, it just looks like bad <laughs> character design, like bad molding. Um, like Kev- Kevin Mart, I think, put it accurately when we talked about the last film in which he compared Jason's exposed face to a mad oh. ball. And here they've really <laughs> taken it to the nth extreme. They've taken a mad ball and literally strapped a, a worn-out hockey mask. To yes. It. Let's get right into it. We get the the old-school... New Line Cinema film thread uh, logo, and we're told that this is right up front. It's a Sean S. Cunningham production. He's taken the reins here. Then we get a bunch of, like, New Jersey um, library (laughs) footage. (laughs) (laughs) And the most frightening thing you'll see in this entire movie, and that is a Toyota Celica convertible. (laughs) (laughs) Which... A friend of mine owned, and I think every part of it rattled when she would drive it around. <laughs> it was, yeah, this it was the, like this loose is the, bolts on wheels. This is the kind of car you expect someone to be driving by and just like extreme is blasting from the radio or something. <laughs> yeah, I I can totally see that. There's yeah a lot of inappropriate uh, MTV hair metal. Mm-hmm. Still happening in 1993. You're like, oh, you're out of step with the times, y'all. Yeah. But nope, still rocking it. And this is where we meet a person we would find out later is named Elizabeth. And she goes to a cabin, which is in what very much looks like California. (laughs) Well, the the library footage is definitely New Jersey. Where she is, is brown as fuck. That's California, people. Excuse you. She passed. She clearly passed by a road sign that said Crystal Lake. (laughs) And then a grip grabbed it and said, moving on. (laughs) And I would love to know what the VRBO pitch is on this cabin. It's like, it's quiet, three bedrooms, sleeps up to 10, massacre Mm. adjacent. Um, (laughs) Several massacres adjacent. Yes, multiple massacres. She's a fixer-upper. She's a can-do person because, like, I mean, as far as I can tell, the only thing she does at this cabin is she shows up, vaguely fixes something, and then it's, it's shower time. You know, that's that's mm-hmm. she's come to the cabin apparently to do assorted mechanical repairs, but also she sort of lives there. Well, I mean, she's gone through all the New Jersey wilderness <laughs> with the top down on the thing. So she's full of bugs <laughs> yes. and, and a volume of hair. Mm-hmm. And I do have to say this about this actress. We, we generally don't go into someone's background, but we're finally every once in a while you meet an actor or actress in these movies that has done something else. And believe it or not, this person has. This is Julie Michaels, and you might not recognize her, but she has two fantastic fucking credits on her IMDb. Numero uno. She was the femme fatale who gets beat up constantly in 1989's Roadhouse. What? She was <laughs> she is blonde as hell in that movie, and she looks very upset. When she's interrupted in mid aerobics, but yeah, she's the she's the the villain's lady, and you, she's unrecognizable from that. Here's the, the next credit where she's unrecognizable. She's the girl who beats the living shit out of Keanu Reeves when they raid the wrong house in Point Break. <gasps> oh, oh yeah, 
gosh. She may be the coolest fucking person who has ever been in a Friday the 13th movie <laughs> based on those other two credits. Wow. I, I would agree with you there. I mean, I didn't. I'm like, thank God for, you know, the uh, Amazon Tribune that seems to come up <laughs> where it gives you uh, trivia. I, I usually just watch my Blu-rays, but I didn't have the chance. And I'm like, who is this person? And I could not believe it is her. I, she is awesome. And I I agree. She's just asked to fix a lot of light bulbs and then take a shower. But she also runs around in a towel that never falls off. And I can't do that. I can't walk from my shower to where my closet is without it falling off. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, this woman, I am not surprised that she's a good actress because her role is like the gender roles dance of the seven veils. Like, she shows up. <laughs> And, you know, she's just, you know, a scrappy, vaguely androgynous, you know, dancing in the dark era, Courtney Cox mechanic. Suddenly, Mm -hmm. you know, like once she's done fixing something, it's like, watch out, boys. I'm also a woman. She takes off her hat. (laughs) (laughs) Heels. What? So much hair. (laughs) Like. She yeah, is that all her hair, or is that a wig, or is that early nineties? She looks like she's a cast member of The Lion King. Like, there's a lot going on. (laughs) Like Beast from the TV show Beauty and the Beast had shorter hair than she has in this, and it's crazy. There's does seem to be insanely damaged, but. I couldn't figure out if it was a wig or what. She also has a chapeau. She's wearing uh, a Mets cap. Yes. This is the tri-state area. And she tilts up the brim of it like she's a member of the fucking Bowery Boys. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It it occurs to me with that hair that this is probably the most metal of the Friday the 13th series. Mm. (laughs) Oh, for sure. (laughs) For sure. And, of course, it's also metal- that is five years late to the dance. Yeah. We are now two years after Nirvana's Nevermind has dropped. And this is the most metal Friday the 13th movie. <laughs> it's like completely out of step of time. Like they locked it in the Disney vault and it didn't come out until four years past its due date. It's sort of like uh, how Pottersville still has uh, crocodile hunter jokes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, this movie was written 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, she uh, is a lady. Her underwear hooks up on top of her hips. Yeah. Which... I thought she was wearing some sort of, like, flash dance leotard. And I was... I actually was like, like what's she wearing? Is that underwear? It just looked like something she was about to start doing aerobics in. Yeah, it's like, it's like a flying V guitar, but, like, for your <laughs> crotchal area. Um, and it's just, it's, it's so weird. It's such high fashion underwear because you think about it and there's not a single outfit you could actually wear it with. Like any jeans you could put on, you know, people are going to be weirded out by the fact that you have sort of like half suspenders extending up your torso. (laughs) But all she has to do is kind of put them up over her shoulders <laughs> and she's wearing the bikini that oh my god yeah Borat. she's wearing the borat's Borat. yeah. that's my joke style i come up with a joke and then i forget the reference <laughs> welcome that's, to the comedy yeah. stylings of patrick hamilton but, my apologies yeah but we are about to witness this woman's you know like third dramatic turn in terms of her like gender performance which is that, you know, now that she's shown you that she can fix light bulbs, that's, you know, 
It's like maiden mother crone. It's like light bulb fixer, shower taker. Suddenly she's like a killer FBI agent who can do, you know, flips in a towel out of the line of fire. It's amazing. Well, according to this movie, the police often use nude women to set traps for hulking monsters who have murdered hundreds of people. It's standard operating. That, that seems to be a, a, a trap with a very high failure rate. <laughs> <laughs> but this time it's pretty effective. Well, they are subverting what Jason's natural abilities are. He knows your fuck style. Yeah. But here, he does not know your police procedure style. And so uh, he may just be coming up against a force that he cannot combat. The world is no longer unprepared for Jason Voorhees. And somehow this trap works. We get a couple uh, set up and no payoffs. Yeah. She goes into the tool shed. And then she comes out, she's just fine. She uh, disappears out of the view of a mirror, and then we come back up, which you would normally expect to see someone behind her. No one is there. Mm -hmm. She has a demonstrably better uh, bra than she does underwear. (laughs) I I just happened to have it on, and that was my observation. That's not really one that counts. And then third, she can tie on that towel to the point where it's just really like a a battle dress. Mm -hmm. She gets swiped at by Jason Voorhees and takes a header off of a second-story balcony on top of a coffee table And that towel is just fine. Yeah. (laughs) So is she. She just pops right back up. Well, I mean, there's a, here's the thing is that like, I, you know, have always heard the discourse around horror movies being like, oh, there's pre-scream and there's post-scream before that slashers were so, you know, straight ahead and sort of goofy and unself-aware. And afterwards they knew all the tricks and they would wink and it ruined the scares. This movie is Mm. incredibly self-aware. Like there's a mirror scare that doesn't happen. There's a, you know, lady getting naked and she, somehow manages to like backflip and elude and towel dance her way out of it. But it's also, there's a miscongeniality version of this movie or like a really boring police procedural where they have like <laughs> trained profilers to be like, what he likes is naked ladies. It should linger on her like a little <laughs> bit longer than you feel comfortable with. Make her get undressed slow. <laughs> you don't have to adjust your underwear, but that's what Jason likes, yes. and that's what we have to do. Exactly. We've got to bring him in. Mm-hmm. I think we figured yes. out. What, I think we figured out what season two of Mindhunter is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! They would make this the longest episode of all time. Just people smoking in a yellow room. Well, what? What is Jason like? <laughs> what does he really want? <laughs> and then on a on a lined a stenographer's notebook, naked ladies, <laughs> like, dramatically underlined like four times. Yeah, and I mean like was, yeah, like, keep a little narrative suspense in it. Don't seem like you're a hoochie right away. Put your hair up in this baseball cap and then take it down. He'll be fascinated. You know, like, <laughs> don't don't be forward. He doesn't like that. Yeah. No. But it's like there's there's some sort of like Silence of the Lambs training montage with this woman like just stripping like 15 times in a row until she gets it right. You know, like there's there's a there's a reboot to be had here. I want this woman's oh, yeah. journey. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I totally want that movie instead of just this prologue version of it and is able to do a couple crazy things. First of all, that towel never drops. And second of all, she's doing full on fucking forest parkour. Mm-hmm. She goes 
over the hood of that car like she's Bo and or Luke Duke. It's pretty fucking awesome. And she manages to finally, after tripping but not succumbing to Jason Voorhees, Mm -hmm. lead him to an opening in a field. And just when you think, I know where this is going, the film is like, "Ah, ah, we were made in 1993. I'm subverting your expectations. And lights come on. And Jason is fired on by a dozen FBI agents with pistols, <laughs> shotguns, machine guns, what they, looks like a Gatling gun at one point. They blow, they blow him up with a grenade. Is it a grenade? Is it a mortar attack? Was that, did they call him a bomber? I, I, I think it was a grenade. Yeah, he's shot by like every conceivable gun and then <laughs> you know he's still sort of standing there you get the sense that he's you know irritated he's still you know waving his knife around like hey guys i'm right here i'm trying to kill someone yeah well quick question for you guys because i i think that it's possible i had some weird rip because i had to watch it on youtube but was he making some sort of like mortal combat like yeah this is, the, <laughs> this is the first vocalization we've heard from Jay since part three mm. so that is and it seems to be 80 yard like it it wasn't what they recorded at the time yeah I, it, it just sounded so weird like they just you know well he's not reacting in a way that seems believable let's have him you know just making these weird you know angry bear noises <laughs> I it can't possibly hurt because a he doesn't have nerve endings B he's basically a reconstituted raisin <laughs> with bones inside. Uh, and also nothing has ever seemed to hurt him. So why would it start now? But yeah, he's grunting and oofing all over the place. And then they call in either a mortar or a grenade or an airstrike on him mm-hmm. after shooting his machete a couple times. I don't know why, but they put sparks on the machete. And yeah, there's some good ping zang noises coming <laughs> off of that thing. Yes. Uh, and then he done blown up real good. Oh, he and did. I mean, there are there are parts everywhere. My um, my person, my favorite person from my segment is coming up soon. But um, I need to say that we are told at some point by someone I won't spoil the mystery that he has well over a hundred bullet wounds. What's problematic for me is that there's some continuity around this wounding. I see him. I visibly see him get blown up into like pasta shreds. Like he's spaghetti. <laughs> At this point, when I am seeing him die, the only thing left is his heart. That does not stay the case. Jason <laughs> partially de-explodes at some point down the line. Well, well, that's the thing. I mean, I, and I wrote this down. Why do they need to perform an autopsy on someone they blew up with a grenade? <laughs> I, I mean, is, I there, assume, is there some question of the manner of death here? I don't think it's a manner of death. I think they're trying to figure out what makes him tick. It's like if you blew up a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, the government's going to want to go, well, I want to see the insides of that. The way he blows up is crazy. His head flies everywhere, but then you get different shots of like arms <laughs> just free-floating. <laughs> it's, like yeah, it's like somebody blew up a scarecrow. Yeah. <laughs> There's these toys called uh, mix and mashups, where the the whole point of them is that you can take off the arms and heads and legs of all the different versions of it and put it on other 
thing. So, like, if you have a Captain America one, you could take off Captain America's arms and put on Doctor Doom's. <laughs> That's what it's like. It just blows up and his and his limbs go off in four different directions. Yeah, it is. There is like just you know. I mean, I guess you're going to hear me worry a lot about explosion patterns, but it does look like at some point <laughs> it looks like the bomb is inside of him. Based on yes, it does. Yes, he explodes around a radius that's somewhere inside him. Yeah, whatever they threw at him, he caught it in his mouth or something. <laughs> <laughs> It's like there's an evil dead part of this where Ash throws a grenade and we see it travel down his throat into his gut. <laughs> if they had like a bazooka and we saw them aim it and shoot it at him, I would more believe the type of explosion that we see. But as a grenade, that would land on the ground and then he would just kind of balloon up from the explosion. It's very odd. It's not the end of the problems with the sequence, though, because for one... Uh, our FBI, our lady FBI agent, reveals herself to have shoes when she <laughs> runs away from Jason, which she has not had up until this point. So why they felt the need to show it in slow motion to tell you for sure that she had shoes is weird. And secondly, when they're all congratulating each other in this sort of mass of mediocre white guy high fives and uh, Kevin from Home Alone fist pumps... <laughs> <laughs> One of the FBI agents is like, ah, clean this shit up. And he looks directly into camera while doing this. Like, <laughs> why is this point of view shot of this rando, the lowest guy on the FBI SWAT team's totem pole now has to clean up dead body parts? That seems like someone else's job. Well, you know, like, like the hazmat, like the hazmat team, perhaps. I imagine it's like he's an intern. It's like their version of getting the coffee. <laughs> You know, like, clean up the body parts. It's just, it's, you know, first day on the job kind of stuff you got to do. Yeah, they've been blowing up mutant serial killers <laughs> from one end of, from coast to coast. I mean, yeah. They finally hit Jersey, and you're the new guy on the team. There you go, hot shot. Clean up that dead body part. <laughs> then cut to a man is hiding just, you know, like a, a 50 yards away. He's got a black cowboy hat and a bad attitude. And it turns out to be a guy we will come to know as this movie's greatest creation, Creighton Duke, mm. who utters these words, I don't think so. <laughs> why doesn't he think so? Why, why doesn't, what is, why does he know all this information that has never been available in any other Friday the 13th movie? Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of stuff they bring into this movie that has never, ever been mentioned before. Yeah, there's like there's a deep mythology and you get the sense that this guy like the fact that he is played by Stephen Williams makes you immediately assume, oh, he's tough and he's learned it on the road. But he's kind of like a Tolkien nerd for Jason. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like in Eldritch times, you know, the ring was forged. Yeah, now now you mentioned that I would I would I would have loved to have seen a, a scene of like in the um, uh, in Return of the King when they show how Smeagol turns into Gollum, just showing like little baby Jason how he turns into big hulking mutant Jason. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only thing they left out of that, Gina. The yes. only thing. Yes. And yeah, this is about the only set that Stephen Williams does not chew, and that's because he's outdoors. <laughs> um, it's, 
It's it's fucking fantastic. This is going to be the Creighton Duke Appreciation Society because there's one person who has shown up to play <laughs> in this movie, and it is Stephen fucking Williams, people. <laughs> kill, 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 kill. Break, 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 break. Hey, greetings and salutations, killers. It's your old pal Patrick Hamilton. I'm breaking into the action to let you know that we... Love when you rate and review us on places like iTunes. It helps us be seen and heard by so many more people. And this week, uh, we got the lovely gift of someone reaching out to us, uh, Milo Mook, who also follows us on Twitter. Uh, Mook uh, tells us all about how he loves the show. He gives a special shout-out to Nick White, uh, who we love on the podcast. If you have not picked up Nick's book, uh He's got a new one coming out, uh, I believe, this year called Sweet and Low. Uh, but please uh, look out for that book and buy it. It's fantastic. Anyways, uh, Mook uh, lets us know that his first experience with Friday the 13th actually took place while his family was on a Wisconsin vacation. And that means you just uh, take a vacation uh, at, at a hotel that has an indoor pool. That's <laughs> very Wisconsin. Um but that when everyone else fell asleep, he ended up watching the Friday the 13th Marathon, and it was the greatest. My underdeveloped brain fell in love with Part 7, which is still my favorite. Hey, can't blame you for that. If I had to choose a death, I would go with Rob's death from Part 4. Instead of screaming, help, he's murdering me, uh, I'd make it super Wisconsin. Oh, crap. Look, I, I'm about to be murdered, don't you know? Uh, that's That's... My Wisconsin accent. I'd like to let everyone know my wife is from Wisconsin. I'm there at least twice a year, and I'm terrible at accents. Anyways, thank you, Mook. Uh, thank you for uh, letting people know about the podcast, and we would encourage you to do the same. If you rate and review us and uh, tell us what your favorite kill is in the Friday the 13th series or any of the films that we've covered, well, we'll talk about it here on the air. It's our solemn promise to you. Anyways, let's get back to the action. The body count continues. Kill, 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 kill. Break, 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 break. Slam cut to opening titles, and these could not be more 1990s because there's animated blood mm. and there's <laughs> flames outlining letters. <laughs> It's like it's like the introduction. It's like when uh, Dirk Diggler introduces his his uh, his name, like the exploding font and all. It um, definitely is like oh. there's that just like '90s cheap movie font pack, and they were just like use all of it, all of it. <laughs> <laughs> and they and, and they've got that uh, what how Patton Oswalt described heavy metal roots as squiggly squaddly do. That's like every bar, part of the the beginning theme music, just this kind of weird sort of pseudo metal riff. Yeah. <laughs> If there's one person that I would never recommend listen to this podcast over the many episodes we've done, it is composer Harry Manfredi, who <laughs> originally created a very evocative theme. And then when asked to do the film series over and over and over again, has gotten worse and worse at it. And there is something about this particular orchestration over the opening titles that I find just Terrible. It sounds like an eight-year-old freaking out on Hawaiian punch and attacking a keyboard. <laughs> I mean, at yeah. one, at some point during it, it legitimately sounds like someone's playing a metal fence post <laughs> as an instrument. Well, it's yeah. and it's not good. 
there's there's something to be said. It's like that escalation of emotion. Like there's somebody just sort of forgot that the emotion has to es- escalate from something. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just like opening a door and the music is already in like full on tantrum and <laughs> you know you just need to back out as fast as you can before it gets like any more pixie sticks in its system it's really intense <laughs> and unlike uh, every other uh, Friday the 13th well I guess 8 really broke the pattern because 8 has that music montage with the sultry saxophone music and the DJ yapping on endlessly with his monologue uh, over the opening credits, but here the opening credits is broken up over scenes of our FBI coroner doing various things. So just know that that's happening in the background. And at one point, it is revealed that KNB Effects Group is actually doing the makeup effects gags here. So that's the first time I I feel like KNB has ever been involved in this. And you can tell, like they do good body parts. <laughs> like that heart looks gross. <laughs> they do good gross. Yeah, that thing is the size of a honey baked ham. <laughs> it really is. Here's the thing that comes up later, but let's just talk about it now because we're talking about the size of Jason's heart. People start referring to Jason as a fat fuck. <laughs> and I think that's more like they're saying bad things about Kane hotter than Jason, who has typically been hulking, but never hefty. I also I also find it kind of curious that that is the worst possible thing this other coroner could say to him. Like, hey, fatty. (laughs) I mean, yeah, sure, you killed like 150 people in in, in a series of brutal ways. But look at you. You're really fat. (laughs) Let me shit on your mask. Okay, again, I need to go back to my my source of concern, which is that Jason has partially de-exploded. He was confetti. He's now four discrete, very large chunks. And, you know, this is we're told that there's extreme tissue loss. But like I saw that there was no tissue. Issue. He's he started to grow back. Now here's the thing: is we, that is that is is that poor is that is that poor continuity or is that oh he's actually kind of forming back together like yeah. you know, like like the T one thousand. It could be yeah. like there's Does like a level of and that was like I actually I went down a rabbit hole with this because I wonder I actually wonder if part of the reason part of the reason that Jason kills others is that. He doesn't fully understand that we don't all de-explode when necessary. You know, that he's reaching out. We don't all grow back. Yeah. He's just like, hey, buddy, you know, I mean, I've, I'm sure that you share with me a fascination in seeing intestines. Here are yours. You know, like there may be... <laughs> <laughs> there might be like a... A level of you were adding a level of education and, and whimsy to him <laughs> that I've never heard of before. That's yeah. nice. You know, I mean, I just um, think we all deserve someone to give us the benefit of the doubt. You know. <laughs> yeah, it all kind of comes back to we never really know how Jason was necessarily raised because he was supposed to have died and then he comes back because they needed a villain. But we've always sort of surmised that he was kind of raised by raccoons. Yeah. <laughs> because, they're you know, and he didn't kill them or whatnot because he just lives in a shack with one working toilet. <laughs> um <laughs> That gets its own music sting. Go back to episode <laughs> episode six, people. It's a good one. Deep and cuts. <laughs> toilet. <laughs> but yeah, he's. I like this idea that if you damage him, his body grows back, but it grows back in a more grotesque way. Mm. So that's why his head looks like 
so nutty is because he was reduced down to a 10-year-old boy, and then he grew back into a mammoth person, and, you know, it's all like, it's like Akira Mm -hmm. body. It's just... (laughs) rumbly tentacle crap. When the coroner, who's not given a name, is looking at his heart, he does the same fat thing. He goes, oh, there's fatty deposits in the left and right atria. Like, like, where's Jason getting so fucking fat? Like, is there an Arby's out there? <laughs> like, is he ordering Domino's? What the fuck is happening yeah, I mean, between how now much and 1989? Considering how much he walks around in the woods, he should be pretty fit. Oh, he's got cardio all the fucking day, man. He's not sitting down at a desk. Well, it's like your mother always told you about bullies. Like, it really reflects more on them. Because we're learning that there's this whole subculture of coroners who, like, prove their masculinity by making fun of corpses. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they they may actually adopt, what was the coroner from part four? What was his name? Yeah, he was cool, he right? was just kind of more like a sleazeball. Yeah. But I mean, but Axel. this, but Axel, Axel, yes. But, but these guys are like taunting the corpses, which, you know, I, I'd have to admit, I, I, I buy that that happens. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. But what I wanted to bring up was what do you suppose that this actor playing the coroner was trying to do mm. with his, with, with his character? Because uh, he had, he has a way of delivering his dialogue that is fascinating. <laughs> now he's recording himself as mm-hmm. i assume most people do when they're performing an autopsy but he has this weird way of speaking like there's a line in which he goes the heart appears to be filled with a black viscous fluid <laughs> and i'm like what is this character supposed to be doing? Well, he's biting back his zingers. Like, he's being very <laughs> professional, but ultimately he can't resist. And he, like, holds up Jason's head and is like, this guy's deader than shit. Like, oh, dang, I'm actually really fun when I'm not in a morgue. And that's what kills him. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell that because he has a whimsical tie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the coroners in this FBI uh, facility are something to behold. We have him who, yeah, pulls back his jokes, talks into multiple microphones. Like, he's got the one big mic, and then he's also talking into a mini cassette recorder. Like, Mm -hmm. why do two fucking things? Just run the reel-to-reel already. Why? (laughs) I don't don't get Like, the intern there must fucking hate his guts. (laughs) Secondly... His assistant comes back with lunch mm-hmm. because why wouldn't you want to sit over the body of a exploded mutant serial killer and have pizza and coffee? <laughs> That's gross, y'all. Seriously, don't eat pizza with coffee. That's Weird. I think that's like that's one of the you know, most well worn tropes in movies is that is a coroner who who just has no problem eating mm-hmm. while they're while they're you know I think that was a big one in the in the Dirty Harry movies a lot that the guy yeah. would be like looking at a dead body while eating a hot dog and dropping crumbs on the body and that's just such a I I don't know any coroners I, mean, I assume that they you know have a, a a space in which they could eat their lunch and not have to eat a slice of 
drippy pizza over the smoking <laughs> body parts of a recently deceased person. I, yeah. I could be wrong. If our listeners work for a you know medical examiner's office, please let us know if this if this trope is reflected in real life. I, I, I am genuinely curious. Yeah, hit us up on the twits. It does. It seems like you know it's it's one of those transgress and punish thing. It's kind of like physician heal thyself. It's like you didn't think it was a big deal for people to be dead, did you, Phil? Well, now you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> that. that seems like a big deal, doesn't it? Like, <laughs> you don't find a lot of irony in, in Friday the 13th movies, and, and yet, yeah. here we are. It's during this examination of the heart that we begin to hear the Jumanji beat start to come out of it. <laughs> where it's it, like Khaleesi's milkshake, it brings all the boys to the yard, and it compels the coroner to eat it. Yeah. Also, the heart does the Jaws theme. The heart does the Jaws theme <laughs> in heartbeat. Like, in revisiting all of these movies, that is the single grossest moment in the entire series. <laughs> I, he's just tearing into this thing like a roast beef sandwich. And he's, he's making, like, yummy noises while he's... He's digging, he's, you know, just, just chomping into this decaying black viscous fluid heart. And then, I mean, like, the, he, he takes a swallow and then just starts, like, barfing it back up. It's like, oh, that's, that's nice. This is the first movie to be now in the 90s. And I think the sound design is way better than any other Friday the 13th sound design, which is a good and bad thing. He's roaring. He sounds like a fucking dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> Like when that truck goes off a cliff in Duel, he sounds like that. He's a human being. Yeah. Well, I mean, I also think we need to pause and respect the subtleties of this performance, which is that, I mean, his reaction shots are some of the best I've ever done. Like, first he looks really grossed out by the idea that he's going to eat a heart. He looks sort of like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm going to barf, I'm going to barf. And then right before he goes in... He visibly sort of shrugs. He's like, well, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> when in Rome. <laughs> like, he's really upset that he's being compelled to eat this organ. But then, like, at the last minute, he's just like, you know what? I've just, I've never done this before. Let's just let this, let's see how it plays out. You know? <laughs> Thank God he hasn't done that before. If that was his regular routine. <laughs> Oh my God! How many how many shirts would he go through in a month? Yeah, no, he's a messy eater. He really is. Well, it doesn't it doesn't help that it's it seems to be full of black oil from the mm-hmm. X Files. He did say that it was filled with a black black viscous fluid, and he he barfs it up in you know five point one stereo. Holy fuck! <laughs> you, you hear every <laughs> gurgle out of this. <laughs> And all the while, the camera is spinning around him like he's in the middle of a Michael Bay movie. (laughs) Up until the point that, uh, as mentioned earlier, fairies come out of the body and zap into his chest. I'd like to remind everyone, this came out the same year as Jurassic Park. (laughs) We also need to remind people that Nothing like this has ever been suggested in any other Friday the 13th movie up till now, that he was controlled by fairies. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's a mystic essence of Jason. I mean, I think if you went down to Stephen Williams' basement with all his 12-sided die, he'd be, able, he'd be very willing to explain that to you. <laughs> <laughs> 
And for sure, if you're a woman, over-explain it to you in a way that makes you feel like, well, why the fuck did I research this? (laughs) We hear a lot of chomping. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously that thing is made of rubber, but what he's biting into is chewy. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's, it's not cool, man. But uh, this is, again, where we cut away from this and we meet the assistant mm-hmm. uh, who is this kind of shortier, nerdier guy. Yeah, he looks like the non-Belky half of Perfect Strangers is what I have in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> not wrong. We learned two things about him. One, that he likes to drink coffee with pizza, which is fucking gross. Two, that he's ticklish when he's patted down. Which, again, this thing has a weird comedy thing it's trying to go for. Where it's trying to subvert your expectations. And we also have the uh, Kane Hodder sort of cameo, as it were, out of makeup. He's the bearded uh, FBI SWAT guy. Oh, how cool. Who pats Ah. everyone down. So that's what that's what he kind of look. He doesn't have that much hair anymore. Uh, I happened to go see a showing of uh, part seven here in town in Los Angeles for Screamfest LA, and he showed up and he's shorter than you think, but way wider and full of muscles. <laughs> and uh, but his face looks exactly the same. That is Kane Hodder. It's like he came out of a mold press. Very nice guy. And so he comes in, and this is where we get the comedy routine from the assistant. It was like, can you imagine that you can say anything you want to Jason Voorhees? It's like, well, you could have said anything you wanted to Jason Voorhees before. <laughs> yeah, I was like, just, just you know, look at his picture in the paper or something. Yeah. This is a weird sub-thread of Jason that we have not seen before, which is he doesn't like to be insulted. It's like Back to the Future and when Marty is called a chicken mm. and he freaks out. <laughs> Now, if you insult Jason, he's like, hey, I was going to pass you by, but you just fucking insulted me. That's not really how he operates. And, and, and again, is the worst possible thing you could say to him is that he's fat? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's more like it's more like an arts review because this assistant seems like he's working <laughs> on his tight vibe. Like he has this really specific, like Jason centric stand up set. And, and, and he's yeah, he's he's pausing for a second, a few seconds to wait for a response. Yeah. Yes. He's like, hey, the filmmakers knew this was going to get a great reaction. Yeah. <laughs> Stunned what it did not. Really thought that mango sized crap would really get everyone laughing. Yeah. Also, that sounds uncomfortable. Yes. That that's you're like, oh, I'm gonna deposit that. I'm like, well, that doesn't sound like it's fucking fun for you to get it there in the first place. Yeah. It's terrible. <laughs> that that's that's all that pizza and coffee that's just yeah, exactly. to, to mango sides droppings. <laughs> I told you, everybody, strap in. (laughs) (laughs) This one's a Lulu. uh, But no, they do. Like, I I mean, you got to think about, like, what it takes to body shame a corpse. Like, there's just, you know, there's so little that he can do about his body shape at this point in time. You know, it's there's four 
discrete chunks of him, you know? (laughs) (laughs) They do seem to be very loud because when the coroner puts them on the metal table, they make a thunk (laughs) when they're put down. It's like, is there steel inside of there? Is he wrapped in Kevlar? (laughs) What the fuck is happening? No, he has like adamantium wolverine bones. When they set him down, it's like it's clearly metal hitting metal. Which which explains why he's he's kind of regenerating, evidently. Oh, see? Oh, it's all coming together now. I feel like we've done a better job than any of the coroners in this movie. Like, and without insulting corpses. <laughs> and so and this sort of insult comic routine does not work out well for him because he looks over and the main coroner is holding a two-pronged probe, which I'm not entirely sure what his medical purpose is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he goes, yeah, that, yeah, I get it. It's a probe. What up? And then Phil picks him up by the side of his neck, carries him over to the table, and deposits that probe right into his head, we assume. Mm-hmm. That's what he's aiming for, at least. We don't get to well, see he it. He also partially mushes his face through the, uh, the, the grating, yeah. which is yeah. pretty good effect. <laughs> yeah, pretty good. I don't know how much of that is his face or the previous viscera. But it's a little. I, I, I think it's supposed to be his face. I think he did a little bit of Plato Fun Factory on him. <laughs> <laughs> but that's oh, why I'm that's saying it's an arts cool. routine because it definitely has like shades. You know, it's sort of a precursor of that Heath Ledger "Watch Me Make This Pencil Disappear" because I think he not <laughs> only like shows him the probe, he's like, "Hey, squirrely guy, do you know what this is?" And he's like, "Well, it's a probe." And see. <laughs> Look at that. He also doesn't seem to be concerned that uh, that Phil's face and and the front of his shirt are just covered in blood. No, which but, which which suggests that maybe this is a regular thing that Phil engages in. Yeah, like it's just it's <laughs> another bad day, or Phil's just like really clumsy. It's like, oh no, Phil, did you fall onto the corpse again? <laughs> like, <laughs> Phil, what do we tell you about snacking on the job? Yeah, that's why you have to wear grippy shoes, man. You can't be coming in here with those slippery shoes. Got to be wearing Crocs, dude. Come on. <laughs> yeah, man. Standard operating procedure. Come on, y'all. <laughs> Anyways, we get that two-prong to the head, and then we cut to a very weird graphics package on someone's TV. Yes. Uh, whom we will not discuss, but we're seeing a TV show called American Case File. Mm. And the person who is reporting, I guess this is supposed to be like a an insider or a... Like Inside Edition or a Current Affair or something like yeah, that? Um, yeah. They used to have America's Most Wanted. Like, I thought it was really good for bad 90s crime TV. It definitely, like, took me back to, like, being up too late. That was very 90s. Yeah. So that was probably the most 90s thing about it. But before <laughs> we get to that, there's also a nice little uh, first-person shooter kind of point of view of mm. uh, Jason coming at, well, Jason looking like Phil coming out of the uh, the morgue and looking at the two agents and seemingly walking away from them, but we know that's not true. Well, he gets insulted, and now he's gained this new you know problem where someone calls him a chicken goes bark 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 mm-hmm. he has to turn around and do something about it and that's where we learned that these two FBI agents uh, meet terrible ends uh, they are stabbed multiple times with something <laughs> That we don't see. Well, the 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 wiki, which I went back to using because the the death list in this movie is extensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I said, we're going to have uh, many many episodes dedicated to this particular uh, entry in the series. Uh, it says that his fingers were driven into their heads. <laughs> I, all what? I'm picturing is him treating someone's head like a bowling ball. 
he fingered their heads to death. <laughs> is, I, I mean, look, I guess he just like jammed his fingers into their foreheads. I, I'm not sure. It's so that's really not conveyed at all by the visual language of the film. I mean, I think these guys like their film professors are very disappointed because it was almost <laughs> like it's, you know, it's like a wacky cutaway death. Like, here are these guys. I bet they're going to call Jason a pussy. Oh, whoops, they're dead. You know, it's definitely and it's very sad that Kane Hodder never gets to be killed by Jason. It's like, you know, how you can never see the back of your own head or something. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it is America's great trend. <laughs> you know, like, it's just, you know, it's it's just, well, boom, there you go, done. We're left to intuit all sorts of things that are just not clear from the sight of just two bloody guys. I'm, you know, <laughs> boo. We got a lot of time with Phil. We got to know his journey. We got a lot of time with Shower Lady. Squirrely mm-hmm. guy, you know, I think stole all of our hearts. And then these guys are just like, well, you know, it's a Jason movie. Let's just assume they died, you know? Yeah. And we we get a little bit of the, you know, through TV footage, which you would never show on television in 1993. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, if, if fingers were driven into heads, I don't think that's a very accurate representation. But I, it is certainly more dynamic. Mm-hmm. A death than just Rando stabbing with the same probe that he used on his buddy. But okay, yeah, sure, why not? What do I care? You got fingers to the heads. So that brings us to everyone's favorite game show component mm-hmm. because it's the only one that we talk about on Kill by Kill, and that's choose your own death venture. And the rules are this if you were forced to die, and one of the ways that we discussed in this section of the movie, which one would you choose and why? And up for bid this time, we have blown up by mortar fire or grenade, not sure, uh, eat a Voorhees heart, uh, probe to the head. And what I wrote down is stabbing, but we're going to call sharp fingers through your skull. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sadie, as our guest, we turn to you first for your answer. I mean, in my heart, I know that I would probably just, you know, prefer to go the blow me up route. I mean, it's painful, but it's fast. But I want to believe that in my final moments, I would choose the spirit of adventure and I would eat that Voorhees heart. (laughs) You know, I would I would let myself go on that journey and just sort of, you know, die doing something really, really memorable. So this is in the year of yes for yes. you. You would say yes to eating that Voorhees. Like Phil, who in that last moment just decides to let life take him where it may. I like to think <laughs> that I would just ultimately shrug and be like, shove that gross mutant heart into my face, Tinkerbell or... Whoever the hell is compelling me to do this, just let me let me die as I have lived eating something that I know is probably not any good, you know? Yeah. Just let the gravy run down your mm-hmm. chin. I get yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Gina, uh, what say you? Uh, I, too, am going to take uh, Phil's way out, but probably for a, a less poetic uh, explanation than Sadie. I'm just a really enthusiastic eater, <laughs> so, you know, I, I, can, I can definitely see myself just, you know, being taken over by the urge to eat something and just, you know, double fisting and just shoving it right into my face hole, mm-hmm. just not even caring. <laughs> So, yeah, that's how I'm going to go with Phil because, you know, grab life, be enthusiastic in every aspect of your life <laughs> or, or the end of your life. All right. Well, I, you know, I think I, I love the enthusiasm and I love the intent. 
but I'm going to go in a slightly different direction, and I'm going to go with the newly explored fingers through your mm. face. <laughs> um, I I just that's a fascinating way to die. It didn't look like it took him very long to to pass through this mortal coil, and frankly, uh, I don't know that my tummy could take it. I mean, you have the heart, and that's one thing. It is cooked. It's It's been burned up in a fire. So it's not like you're eating it raw. But the other part of it is is I, I think it's oversauced. That's a me thing. It's just a me thing. Um, it's it's not the dish. It's, it's a me. So well, I might send that back to the kitchen. Well, the presentation is important. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. It, you you first eat with your eyes and, and then your taste buds. <laughs> Oh god, it's so gross. <laughs> this is like by our grossest episode. I don't know. It, we need to put a warning. We need to, we, we need to put a, a a warning in front of this. <laughs> it might get grosser, Gina. I haven't seen this since nineteen. Oh, it's gross. <laughs> it's gross. And it's very gross. I was stunned at how gross this part was. <laughs> it might only get grosser from here, for all I know. <laughs> uh, oh man, wow. We have really turned a corner yeah. from nuclear waste. I, I told the- you, I was so excited about getting to this point. <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> cert- at least there's plenty to talk about. That is for certain. Uh, <laughs> hey, Sadie, you've been such a fantastic guest, and I'm sure people will want to know more about what you do and everything. Why don't you tell people where they can find that information out? Well, um, I'm on Twitter as... At Sadie Doyle, um, S-A-D-Y-D-O-Y-L-E. Um, I have a newsletter that I send out very occasionally where I recommend horror movies to people. And I'm pretty frequently seen at L.com where I have a column on politics. Excellent. Check it out today, people. Hey, Gina, where can people find you on the Internet? Um, I do pop culture and movie writing and occasionally some boring personal stuff at GinaRadcliffe.com. I'm also on Twitter at, at Porcelain72. Uh, I had a tweet go viral this past weekend. Um, which sure did. Sadie, I'm sure that's happened to you before, but it's never happened for me. I, I find that Twitter is often like talking into an empty room for me. Mm. But uh, it was a... Uh, it was a strange and, and absolutely inexplicable experience, but it was also a uh, an exciting experience. So uh, basically, Patrick, this is my way of announcing that this is my last episode. Oh. Um, <laughs> I, I'm now a Twitter celebrity, so fuck you guys. <laughs> smell you later. Um, you, you know, have fun with your piddling podcast. You know, I'll remember you on my way to the top, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's that makes sense. See, you you filled it. You went out with gusto. I just, there's no place else to go from here. I, I mean, I, all of my dreams have come true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You insult Mark, Marky Mark and <laughs> you just find yourself on top of the Twitterati. There's just nowhere uh, else I can go. Sense. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, so if uh, you like the show, there's a couple ways you could show us how. Uh, the first thing you can do is you can rate and review us on iTunes. And we would love you to do it. Now, many of you have. We, we have more than your year-and-a-half-long podcast usually draws at this point, and and we appreciate it. But we've kind of been stuck where we are for a little while. So if you're new to the show, if you just found us, or you've been listening for a while, 
please rate and review us and uh, let more people know that they can find this show and what you like about it. Tell us what your favorite Friday the 13th or any of the other movies we've covered, their, your favorite kill from those films are, and we'll read it here on the air. That is our solemn promise to you, the Kill by Kill listener. Find us at Twitter at Kill by Kill Pod, Instagram Kill by Kill Podcast, and on Facebook kill by kill pod and we have a private group and we have a public page and we'd encourage you to come and yap at us there and so that does it don't worry folks the body count continues so until next time for myself and sadie and gina bye bye everybody bye thank you Kill by Kill is produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. Friday the 13th is owned by Paramount Pictures. Jason is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. Kill by Kill logo was designed by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today.